All right, well, as we get ready to begin, um, I didn't mention that last prayer request I gave, I forgot to mention that, but if you have an interest in joining from 2 to 4 p.m., uh, we're not, as a church, we're not actively involved in any way sponsoring or conducting that. I really don't know what exactly that is going to be like, uh, but um, the uh, city of Hollister raised a community flagpole that uh, for quite a while was there was hesitation at approving it. I was reading a little bit online about that this week where I uh, read some past stories, and I think the city of Hollister didn't have a choice. There's a couple people on the city council that would really not like to see a Christian flag flown on that pole. Um, but I was reading one article, it was out of Boston with a similar objection there, but um, they lost court cases over it. Uh, I think it went you know, even to the Supreme Court and basically said that there wasn't any reason to exclude the Christian part of the community from a flagpole that was meant to represent diverse views in the community. And so I don't know what happened behind the scenes, but I'll just take a, a guess. I suspect the city of Hollister was advised by their lawyers, you've got to allow it or you're, gonna, you're just going to end up in lawsuits you're going to lose. Um, so they really didn't have much of a choice. Of course, it was kind of rushed through in the beginning anyways where they didn't have you know, any clearly defined, I think, um, limitations as to you know, what members of the community really could get their flag up there. And so I read the uh, letter that was put together by um, some of the clergy here in town I was reading that online this last week, and um, so that was interesting to read. It's, it's there if you want to look it up. But anyways, that's going on today. I hadn't really thought about the timing of it. Um, I don't know if it was, you know, how, what played out to have the timing of it be in April. It goes up today, and then it's up for the rest of April, but um, Easter being in April is interesting on the timing, so I don't know if uh, that was a request on the part of, you know, the Christians that were behind making the request for it, or if it was just coincidence, uh, at least coincidence from our perspective, and maybe the Lord guided in that. So that's going on today, two to four, so I'm planning on uh, being out there, so if you happen to go, you'll, we'll, maybe we'll bump into each other. And two to four, yeah. Um, yeah, it starts at two, probably get there a little before two o'clock. Um, all right, uh, I'm just guessing there might be quite a few people out there on that, so... And the, you know, the original motivation for that was um, like the rainbow flag and LGBTQ, transgender, whatever goes behind that. And that's really what I think the local politicians, I, I guess there was a statewide push to try to do this idea in many communities. So it wasn't a Hollister-originated idea because um, I heard about it going up in a number of other uh, towns. So that was the original goal and the emphasis. And I don't think they... <laughs> had in the beginning any idea that the Christians would have their flag up there. So, well, I, I never liked the idea that much in, in the beginning, but hey, if it's going to be there, why not the Christian message also? So, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's I don't care for it either. Um, I think that in the article I was reading on it, that was part of it. That you know, where it's like they would discuss how there had to be like some sort of substantial representation in the community on that issue to qualify. But how do you determine that? And yeah, I well, I'm glad I don't have to sit there and try to figure those things out. Um, but anyways, uh, there's definitely an agenda out there that uh, some are trying to do, and this is one method that they're trying to, to do to uh, promote that agenda. And those types of topics, are um, our public schools have embraced those um, quite a bit now in the uh, curriculum. Um, you know, we had a, a mom who had um, her daughter, and I probably already said this before, forgive me, you know, I'm 51, I can't remember what I did last week, let alone what I said months ago. <laughs> I'm exaggerating a little bit, I hope I'm not that bad. Uh, but anyways, there was a mom who had her kindergartner in our school last school year, but then decided um, to try the public school. It was just down the street. They moved to a new house. Wouldn't that be nice? Can 
join with the other neighbors and go down to school. It's just down the street. There's a convenience factor, but there's also she can go with all her neighborhood friends. And so there were certain parts of that that were very appealing, but um, they ran into various issues. I don't even remember what all they were. I just remember one specifically she mentioned that her daughter came home one day and just said, Mommy, am I going to always be a girl? And so they were already planting that idea. You know, there's an agenda there of how to think about things like human sexuality, and it's not neutral. There's a worldview being proposed and being taught um, that the mom just, like, I'm not good with some of these things. <laughs> she, she came back, we were kind of at a point of where we weren't sure there was room in the classroom. We were, it's like, I don't know that we could accept her back. I think we're full in that group. Um, but we looked at it long and hard about the, you know, because we were still trying to socially distance the desks, and I was also sensitive to the workload of the teacher, and uh, we finally decided that we could find a way uh, to get her back in. Um, so we went ahead and did that. Uh, but that, that was just a little insight. Um, I'm on the outside looking into the local public schools, but the, the, the agenda is there. The, the worldview is there. It's, it's being promoted. It's being taught. It's, it's been officially adopted as part of the curriculum. Um, so sometimes you like, them, you like to think maybe they're neutral on those and they're just about teaching the academics, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic. Maybe, maybe not with hickory stick part, but if you know that old song. But uh, Okay, well, enough of that. How about our regular lesson today? Um, so we're in our series on theology, which just means studying the Bible, studying um, topics in the Bible. It could you, you could specifically think of it as, uh, oops, how, why am I on that slide? What did I do? Well, I, a while ago, whoa. All right, hold on. Let's try this again. All right, there we go. Okay. Um, well, our series is, is theology, and, and if you read it literally, it just means study of God, but it's broader than that. The word just generally refers to Bible uh, teachings, and we're in a first unit on this, which is specifically about uh, God himself. Um, and so theology and doctrine just have to do with Bible teachings there. And so we're going to go into our... All right, what is going on? Come on. Did I, did I hit a wrong button? Or Okay, there we go. All right, I don't... We'll see if that keeps uh, having problems this morning. Well, let's go to our, our title slide for our lesson today. We're going to focus on creation today. Or really, we could think of God as the creator. So last time we met, we looked at the Trinity. Uh, today, uh, creation. Now, when I look at the Trinity, that's a tough topic to talk about because none of us really understand the Trinity um, so you might, uh, I might be tempted to say to myself, oh, okay, this will be easier this week. We're going to talk about creation. I understand that better. Except actually, I feel like this was a harder one for me. It's, there's so many things that we could go into on this. I felt almost overwhelmed to think about trying to cover this in one lesson. Um, I don't want to start a nine or 12 week series on creation at this moment. We've had times where we've done that before. Um, I've used different materials because I've been teaching the adult Sunday school for a long time now. I feel like it goes back 15 years or more. And I know at least twice in that time we've um, covered some series that dealt specifically with creation. And I've used some materials. I often like to turn to um, resources that are, are pre-made by creationist organizations uh, because they're going to have put a lot of time and effort and thought into the material and making sure it's orderly and um, and uh, thinking through how to produce that, uh, whereas my time's a lot more limited. And this is often the you know like the major goal of those organizations is to present the Christian message on creation. Um, you might walk away this morning from my lesson feeling very unsatisfied with it. Like he just had so many things he didn't say this morning about creation that he could have said. Why didn't he point this out? Why didn't he point that out? Um, and it's going to be because I don't have time and I don't want to get into a long series. Uh, we'll probably come back to a creation series again at some point. Um, I think it's good to do every now and then. And we have a rotation of people, you know, the, the people that are actually part of the class. It's not um, always the same. And so it doesn't help to say, well, I covered that 10 years ago. Yeah, but if, you know, more than half the class wasn't here, well, it doesn't help them. And so sometimes we come back around to these uh, topics. But today we're just touching on it um, quickly and briefly. 
Um, we're looking at it from some of the material in the book that I've been uh, using, which is a systematic theology book by Wayne Grudem. And so we'll take some of the thoughts that are out there, but even there I had to skim. It was just a, a lot of material, way too much to try to do in one lesson. Uh, so we'll try to hit some of the basics uh, here this morning. And, and uh, it kind of comes back to one of our focuses here. We're talking about theology or doctrine. Theology, doctrine, meaning Bible teachings. And so we're really um, going to focus some on that. And uh, there's a lot that could be said about the, this topic uh, outside of the teaching of scriptures. And, and we'll have a few of those show up um, anyways. So we'll go to our next slide. Now let's see if it actually works this time. Okay. Let's try. <laughs> okay. I see it's like doing something over. Oh, I wonder if, uh, you know, I wonder if that's a problem. I have a dictating program that I see is still open on my computer. I can see something flashing over there. And <laughs> okay, so now Personally, I blame this on Bruce. It's probably his fault somewhere. Um, all right, we got it up and running. So we're on our um, first slide in our lesson. How did God create the universe? So we're going to uh, take a look. I think there's five different uh, points on this. Uh, f- but as kind of an introduction uh, to this thought, there's, there's something I think all of us would, uh, all of us on planet Earth that have any kind of logic anyways, would all agree to. Either matter and energy has always existed, or it had a start, had a beginning. And this is one of those things that uh, we would wrestle with as humans. Um, if, it, if it has always existed, that's an interesting thought. How, how is that possible, or what does that even mean? Um, we'll get in maybe a little bit into time later on, but was there even the concept of time and or did something just appear? And if it appeared, how did it appear? Um, sometimes in creation debates, um, non-Christians who don't hold to the Bible account of creation uh, would, they, they themselves would struggle with some of the same things that they might point at the Christians and, and say as a flaw. Like they might say, for example, uh, it seems kind of fantastic to think that there's some being out there that's all powerful that somehow just magically hocus pocus and created all of this and yet they they're going to wrestle with the same problem is is there self-existent matter that somehow either appeared out of nothing or has always existed and so there's a struggle there as well no matter who you are I was watching uh, some show on physics uh, this last week, and it was kind of astrophysics, I guess. They were getting into dark matter, and they were talking about the, the kind of the structure of the universe and how there's things about it that just are difficult to explain and difficult to understand. Uh, dark matter had something to do with that. I could give you a lesson on dark matter, except I run into two problems. One, I don't know what I'm talking about, and secondly, we don't have the time. Uh, but I, I, could, I could make attempts at it, but sometimes uh, the best thing for an ignorant fool to do is, is not to talk. Uh, so I'm not going to talk about dark matter this morning. But it was interesting to hear them talk about it. They don't, I mean, they don't really know what it is. It's dark. Uh, you can't actually see it 
or detected, but there's like something there that where there's no light or things, and, and it seems to have a gravitational influence on the universe and the galaxy, such that things are ordered a certain way. And um, string theory in physics, uh, I was uh, not watching; it wasn't part of the show where they got into string theory. But I was just reading another article um, that was talking about, you know, some of the. Di- it was talking about like um, let me think now. I'm trying to remember. I was trying to remember why I looked that up. I think I might have looked it up in relation to this, and it might have been about time. Um, but anyways, um, the article, again, highlighted the fact that there's some things going on out there just hard to explain, hard to figure out. And so part of the human existence, I think, is going to be uh, having difficulty explaining everything. Um, <clears throat> I'm a young Earth creationist, um, so I believe and take... Um, take at face value the scripture's viewpoint on creation, which if you take scripture at face value, the earth is not millions, billions of years old. I mean, the the standard evolutionary line is that the earth is four and a half billion years old, and that the first life form, which had been very simple, evolved about three and a half uh, billion years ago. And then, of course, man is much more recent uh, than that on an evolutionary scale. But, um, the, the uh, oh, I lost my train of thought. I was probably saying something brilliant there. Let's assume that anyways. Um, <laughs> let's see. Well, it's, I don't know if that train of thought is going to come uh, back to me. But um, the, the ev- the, whether you're the evolutionist or whether you're the creationist, um, we wrestle with these topics. Um, all of them have underlying assumptions that are not provable. Um, I saw a debate once. Uh, it was Ken Ham debating Bill Nye the Science Guy. And I was watching that debate, and it wasn't Bill Nye that posed a question. I guess they had questions and answers coming from whoever. I don't know, it was the audience or someone could pose them ahead of time. And someone asked um, Ken Ham, "Is what evidence would it take to convince you that evolution is true? And his answer, and it's been a while since I've seen this, so this could be a a serious paraphrase, but his answer was basically, you couldn't. Like, by faith, he's accepting the biblical account of what took place. Now, I've heard Ken Ham often, not, not in that debate, but elsewhere, mention this. You basically got a choice. Am I going to believe mankind's views, man who wasn't there, did not see it himself, often has changing theories, makes mistakes, doesn't understand everything, or am I going to take the, the word of God who was there, who does not make mistakes, who, who was an eyewitness, who's the one that actually created it, and tells me what happened. And so... There's no way mankind has any ability to go back in time and confirm what happened. I mean, there's a lot, when you get into physics, and and I'm not a physics major, I was a biology major in college. I understand that uh, more than physics, even though uh, having a four-year degree in biology is far from an expert. I'm not even sure people with PhDs in biology are experts. You're only expert in that one small area you got a PhD in, uh, but all the other things you could have studied, you, you don't know. I, you know, I, is mankind can't go back and make observations. And so when you're observing something like fossils or geology, you're observing what you see now. It's present observations. And then you have to try to understand and maybe take best guesses as to what caused that. Um, but there's a lot of weird things out there. Um, Einstein's you know, theory of relativity back in the early 1900s was a, a kind of a strange concept. The whole kind of space-time continuum where the time itself could actually have warps in time. And, and it brought about a lot of new thoughts in physics. And so, you know, I think Ken Ham's, even though it might be a, an unsatisfactory answer to some, the fact is if he's trusting God... What he says happened, is there anything a man could come along and say, well, here I have some evidence when we really can't prove what caused that observation to discount what God said. 
And so I think he gave an honest answer in that debate that there's probably not an evidence uh, that could prove that. Now, admittedly, I think um, creationists don't have the answer to every observation. Uh, we don't know why some things are the way they are, uh, but the fact is no one does. And so I, I don't think we can provide um, a completely satisfactory answer to everything that's observed, but it, I think it's helpful to note that when statements are made such as, well, scientists agree to this, or science has shown this to be true, that those themselves are not actually proven facts, more so logical conclusions, maybe based upon the scientific method, but always have underlying assumptions uh, behind them. And uh, I did, you know, once in, um, when I was taking a class, see which college was it? Uh, it was Fresno State. Okay, so I was taking a plant biology class one summer at Fresno State, <clears throat> And the professor in that class uh, made a statement that a certain bacteria had evolved, and I forget if it was that three and a half billion years or, you know, whatever it was, he, he was, made a statement about how old it was. And so I was just doing a little testing of what I had learned, because I had done a lot of my biology education at uh, the Christian College at Bob Jones. And so I just decided I wanted to do a little testing of what I had learned and what I had been told and see what this professor would say to it. Now, he didn't know that's what I was doing, uh, but I asked him uh, uh, during the lab time. He, there, that was actually a partnership between two professors. Interesting enough, the one that did the lecture, she was a Christian. Now, she didn't come right out and say that in class, but I could tell she was by the way she talked, so I approached her outside of class and just asked her um, because she was making statements that had to do with design and nature and how this isn't so random, and it's like, okay, that's the way a Christian talks maybe in code. I don't know if the others in class figured out what that was about or not. But the professor in the lab portion was clearly an evolutionist and not a Christian. So I asked him, I just said, well, do scientists, and, and the kind of plain devil's advocate when I word it this way, do scientists know that that bacteria evolved three and a half billion years ago because of the rocks they find it in are three and a half billion years old? And he said, yes. Okay. And that's all I discussed with him, uh, because that's what I understood, that they, there's really no way to um, test how old that bacteria is when it evolved. Um, it, the, the tests are based upon um, certain testing methods on the rock. So they, if they find a bacteria in the rock, the assumption is that the bacteria is the same age as the rock. Um, but... I know something about the testing methods on the rocks, and those have underlying assumptions to them that are not provable. And the data sometimes come back as inconsistent. So not only are they not provable, they're not um, able to be verified, um, and the results are not consistent. And so anyways, that was just one example in my own education where I, I just know that it's not, you know, un unlike some, and I, have, I had one book uh, when I was doing more studying on um, the age of the earth and, and uh, getting into the, um, the testing methods that are done on uh, things like ages of rocks. Um, I have sources or books from different sources, creation. I have one on creation, one from an evolutionary standpoint, one guy that's in the middle, kind of a theistic evolutionist. And I remember the uh, evolution guy, he was just very adamant, this absolute dating method. It's absolute. We know it's true. He, he never even addressed the underlying assumptions as if they don't exist. And logically, it, it, I mean, it's, it has to exist. Uh, I wasn't wondering if they do. You, you have a current method that proposes how things aged in the past, and there's no way to verify it. So I, I was very interested to find out what his explanations were going to be, and he just didn't even bring them up. And he was very adamant about it. And some, some are that way, adamant. Well, we're going to um, move things along, because like I said, we could spend a lot of time on a lot of these topics. But I've done all that by way of introduction here. Um, and again, matter and energy, it's either always existed or it had a beginning. Um, reading from uh, one website, this is Scientific American, um, kind of highlights uh, two, you know, like the two views on this. The ancient Greeks debated the origin of time fiercely. Aristotle, taking the 
no beginning side invoke the principle that out of nothing, nothing comes. If the universe could never have gone from nothingness to somethingness, it must always have existed. For this and other reasons, time must stretch eternally into the past and future. Christian theologians tended to make the opposite point of view. Augustine contended that God exists outside of space and time, able to bring these constructs into existence as surely as he could forge other aspects of our world. When asked, what was God doing before he created the world? Augustine answered, time itself being part of God's creation, there was simply no before. Okay. So, it's not just modern Americans you know, that have wrestled with these things. I mean, uh, God created man as an intelligent being, so mankind has wondered about this kind of stuff uh, for millennia. Well, that was an article in the Scientific American but uh, Wade and Grudem makes this statement. This Again, he's the one who um, wrote the Systematic Theology book. He says, The Bible clearly requires us to believe that God created the universe out of nothing. So that's the scriptural teaching on that. And that's our first point on the slide here, is that God created things out of nothing. Sometimes people use the Latin phrase ex nihilo. Now, I don't know if the Latin Vulgate has ex nihilo in it at all. Um, of course, the Bible was not written in Latin. It was written in Hebrew, largely in the Old Testament. Portions are written in Chaldean, and the New Testament's written in Greek. Uh, but this is a common, um, common term that sometimes is used. And again, it, it means that before God began to create the universe, nothing else existed except God himself. Um, and it, it says this is the implication of Genesis 1.1, heaven, heavens and earth. And the implication is that the heavens and the earth means the universe, everything. So in the beginning, God created the universe, created everything. And then we have a uh, kind of a couple more verses on our slide here uh, that support that. Uh, Psalm chapter 33, verses 6 through 9. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of the, his mouth. And then uh, down in verse 9, and oops, somehow, verse 9 got, oh, there it is, it got bumped down. What are you doing way down there at the bottom? Okay. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. And so I've highlighted on our slide here, um, kind of a, a uh, kind of putting those together, it was the word of God that the heavens were made. He spake and it was done. Uh, go back to verse 6. The heavens were made and all the hosts of them, like every, everything that lives in them. Okay. Oh, then we have Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Uh, things that are seen, like things that are made out of matter, things we can detect, are not made of things which do appear. Like you might, might say things that are invisible or things that are not detectable. In other words, the implication is out of nothing. Matter, energy, our universe came from, you know, which is made of stuff, came from no stuff. Okay. Well, what other verse uh, I'll mention? There's other verses besides these, but John 1, 3 uh, speaking specifically of Jesus as one of the members of the Trinity, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made uh, that was made. This universal statement, all, like no exceptions to this, everything created uh, by God. So that'll be our first uh, point in this. By the way, feel free to stop. If you want to discuss, ask questions, uh, add to anything that we're mentioning here. Uh, but um, as you don't speak up on that, I'm going to keep going. Okay, so then we have our second point on here, our first point being out of nothing. Okay, our second point being creation of the spiritual universe. Well, we've kind of already touched on this, I guess, because the answer is that God, in the beginning, created everything. And prior to that, there was nothing. And so even the spiritual universe, you know, angels, uh, for example, heaven, uh, any of those concepts... Uh, here's one verse in the Bible that touches on this. It's, um, I think I have it on our slide. Yep, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. You, even you, are Lord alone. 
You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein, and you preserve them all, and the host of heaven worships you. And so everything, everything in the heavens, everything in the earth and in the oceans created by God, and um, you and you alone created them. Another verse similar to that, Revelation chapter 10, verse 6. It says, And swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are therein, and the earth and the things that are therein. Okay, so everything in the earth, everything outside the earth, I think that's the uh, implication of the heavens versus the earth. Okay? And so God is the creator of all that, and that would apply uh, to angels now. Um, when were angels created? In the beginning? Um, I, you know, they're not specifically associated with one of the six days of creation. Were they created on one of the six days of creation? I mean, God didn't really say. I mean, if God didn't tell me when the plants were created, then I wouldn't have known they were day three. But the Bible actually says that. I don't know. I mean, the Bible doesn't actually get specific at all about the creation of angels. Did he create Satan? And the, did he create demons? And, well, they were angels. Um, later they became demons or fallen angels. But how long, I'll just pose this question, how long was it from the time Adam was created to the time where he disobeyed God and ate that fruit? I don't know. Could it be? And I, I emphasize that word could. So the end answer is I don't know. Could it be that Satan fell? He, he rebelled against God sometime from day one of creation to whenever Adam and Eve ate that fruit? I don't know how long of a time period that was. How long did it take for mankind to disobey God? And we know that Satan was a part of tempting Eve and deceiving her. Um, but how long was that? Nothing said it happened, you know, happened two days or a week after creation happened. We, we just simply have no idea. Um, but there's good reason to believe from statements of Scripture that God created everything, and that would have to include the spiritual realm, and, and prior to him there was nothing. And so these are, are the, uh, the teachings of Scripture on that. And, and besides that, we're not going to be able to get an answer such as exactly when uh, angels were created or when did Satan fall or... Uh, but I think the, if we take the Bible more literally on it, then it would have happened whenever in the beginning, well, sometime there, maybe the days of creation, something like that. Now we know that on the seventh day, God rested from his creative act. So assume sometime prior to that. But again, the Bible doesn't say. Okay. Um, all right, let's see. Let's go to our next point. Okay, so we had those first two. Uh, God created out of nothing, creation of the spiritual universe, and now direct creation of Adam and Eve. Well, the Bible teaches that God created people special in a personal way, um, not just as simply one of the other animals. Um, now, one of the dilemmas I come up with when I'm uh, teaching biology in high school is uh, to what extent do we decide to classify man as homo sapien uh, in the taxonomic order that you have in biology, your kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species? Well, I kind of have mixed feelings on it. I tend to be okay with using it just from the standpoint of it's an organizational tool. Um, but there's an aspect of it that's not that great, and that is that it's often used by evolutionists to demonstrate um, evolutionary relationship, like going to Ancestry.com and mapping out the genealogy of mankind. So I do know that there's kind of an anti-God evolutionary motive for many behind that classification system, but it hasn't always been that way, uh, especially when I think it first came out. It was just an attempt to try to describe the orderly universe, and uh, some of the people in the early days were doing that, believed in God. They just saw an orderliness to nature and thought it could be categorized and organized and studied in a more systematic way. So for that reason, I'm not completely against it. Um, 
but I, I caution the students on the thoughts, you know, being classified as homo sapien doesn't show evolutionary relationship. It might, might be a way of saying we have something in, you know, more, more similarly in common with some organisms than others, and just for perhaps uh, convenience uh, and ability to um, discuss things. For example, classifying humans as mammals can be helpful because mammals all share certain common characteristics um, that might allow us to study one mammal, know something about another mammal, and could be useful. So, um, well, let me read uh, one statement here uh, from uh, Wayne Grudem. Christians differ on the extent to which evolutionary development may have occurred after creation. And the fact is that some Christians hold to uh, evolutionary thoughts. Or maybe they either hold to it as I'm not sure, or maybe they say, oh no, I believe it did happen. Um, this is the broad umbrella of Christianity, but I suppose it's possible even, even genuine Christians, uh, some might hold to that. So he, uh, he goes on to say, uh, well, let me start at the uh, beginning. Christians differ on the extent to which evolutionary development may have occurred after creation, perhaps, according to some, leading to the development of more and more complex organisms. While there are sincerely held differences on that question among some Christians with respect to the plant and animal kingdoms, uh, these uh, texts, speaking of the text of scriptures that we've already looked at, are so explicit that it would be very difficult for someone to hold, and so here's a key thought, would be very difficult for someone to hold to the complete truthfulness of the scripture and still hold that human beings are the result of a long evolutionary process. So there's one of the difficulties that Christians would have. Um, you can't have it both ways. Either the scripture, very difficult to say the scripture is fully trustworthy and evolution's true because they're incompatible because the Bible teaches things that are incompatible with that thought. Uh, he says this, is, this conflict is because when scripture says that the Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground, it does not seem possible to understand that to mean that he did it over a process that took millions of years and employed the random development of thousands of increasingly complex organisms. Even more impossible to reconcile with an evolutionary view is the fact that this narrative clearly portrays Eve as having no female parent. She was created directly from Adam's rib while Adam slept. But on a purely evolutionary view, this would not be possible, for even the first female human being would have descended from some nearly human creature that was still an animal. The New Testament affirms the historicity of this special creation of Eve from Adam when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. And so, yeah, the fact is, it's just hard to have it both ways. Now, there are those that try to reconcile or, or uh, say that it's both ways, and I'll come back to that in a little bit where we'll touch on theistic evolution, but there's some difficulties in that view. So the Bible teaching is that man uh, was created as a special creation in God's image, and um, more like God than any other creature, uh, you might say, appointed to rule over the creation, which is sometimes referred to as the dominion mandate. Um, so um, no other creature is created in the image of God. And I believe part of that is just having an eternal soul that will live somewhere, even, even an awareness of God. Um, I, I don't know exactly what goes on in the mind of animals, uh, do they have any awareness of God? Does he put that in them? I'm not sure. Um, but they definitely are not created in the image of God. They weren't created as that special pinnacle of creation with special responsibilities and a special accountability uh, to God. And they don't, um, they don't have a sin nature. I'm confident of that. When that Adam hunts down the gazelle on the plains of the Serengeti, I don't think it's thinking about, is this murder? Is this ethical? Should I do this? I think it's just eating lunch. Um, and uh, I don't think it feels remorse. My dog, when it disobeys me, I don't think it has a conscience. He doesn't feel guilty when he disobeys me, uh, when he does what I told him not to do. But a, but a human child can feel guilt and know that what they did is wrong. But I think the dog feels bad for getting in trouble, but uh, would do it again because it wanted whatever, you know, wanted that piece of chocolate or whatever it ate. Okay. So 
Let's uh, keep it uh, moving along. And our next point, so go past our first three here. Okay, point number four, how did God create the universe? Well, we've touched on this a little bit, uh, creation of time. And let's see, did I, I think I flipped, yeah, I flipped pages too fast. Okay. Um, Wayne Grudem says, when we speak of God's existence before the creation of the world, we should not think of God as existing in an unending extension of time. Rather, God's eternity means that he has a different kind of existence, an existence without the passage of time, the kind of existence that is difficult for us to imagine. The fact that God created time reminds us of his lordship over it and our obligation to use it for his glory. Now, we did touch on this already in our past lesson. Um, I believe it was on the lesson on the Trinity and uh, how that... Um, God's, God's not bound by time, but he's over time. I don't know what that means. It's, it's hard to imagine there being no time. I mean, I'm getting older. My, my life's progressing on. I'm aware of it in terms of time. And yet God's outside of that. And uh, so uh, we're not going to spend more time on that topic since we already spent a little bit of time on that in a previous uh, week. Um, but... It's, uh, it's an interesting thought, and it's confusing. But, like I said at the beginning, you know, even if you're not a Christian, you get confused by things that are hard to... Space-time continuum, dark matter, string theory, there's all these things. And a lot of those things I just mentioned, we're not even sure what they are. And we're not even sure if they're correct. Especially, I know, string theory is one of the more modern physics theories trying to explain things, and we don't even know exactly whether it's true. It's just the, the most current... Well, then we go to our last point here. Let me get those up quick. And how did God create the universe? Uh, well, we also touched on this with the Trinity, that Jesus and the Holy Spirit were part of that. Uh, John 1, 3, speaking specifically of Jesus, all things were made by him. He's the word in John 1. And without him was not anything made that was made. Okay, we have uh, several verses here. They all touch on that. Um, 1 Corinthians 8, 6 um, says there, One Lord Jesus, who, by whom all things, uh, by whom are all things, and we by him. Colossians 1, 16, by him were all things created. It's a little easier to establish Jesus as creator. Um, Holy Spirit's a little bit, um, uh, let's just say the verses are scarce. Um, here's one verse that we're probably familiar with. We've already read it today. No, actually, I guess we did it. We read Genesis 1-1. This is Genesis 1-2. The Spirit of God moving over the face of the waters, kind of indicating that he had a preserving, sustaining, governing function um, over the earth at that early point of creation. Uh, Job 33-4, Job says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty has given me life. But Wayne Grudem puts it this way, however, the testimony of Scripture to the specific activity of the Holy Spirit in creation is scarce. The work of the Holy Spirit is brought into much prominence in connection with the inspiring of the authors of Scripture and the applying of Christ's redemptive work to the people of God. So we know the indwelling of the Spirit when a person is a Christian and his work inside a person's heart. We, we'd have a lot more information on that, but we do know that he's a member of the Trinity and we have uh, some hints at him being part of that creative work. Um, and so we understand the scripture to teach that, even though there aren't a lot of verses on that. Okay. So these are some uh, aspects uh, that go with our question up here. How did God create the universe? Um, I do have um, a couple additional slides, that, but I'm going to go through them quickly, uh, just uh, because I don't want to, again, get into a long series on it. Um, our next slide is called Creation Thoughts. And so just some different things. Uh, one creation thought is this. Creation is distinct from God, yet always dependent on him. So God's not part of his own creation, uh, but he's outside of his creation. He created it. And he does talk in the scriptures about how he sustains it. So that's what's hinted at is it's dependent on God. Um, the universe would not hold together the way it was if it were not for God, because the Bible teaches he sustains it. Uh, he's holding it together, okay? um, upheld by his right hand, I think, as it said in one verse. Okay? 
Here's another creation thought. God created the universe to show his glory. So you might wonder, like, why did God do it the way that he did? And this is a major answer, to show his glory. So we are, if we were to answer this question, one good place that it's mentioned in the Westminster Confession of Faith, um, which is a you know, really good source of Bible information, um, the Westminster Confession of Faith says, what's the chief end of man? Like, what's our main purpose in life? To bring glory to God is the answer to that. And so, but not just us, though. His entire creation was done for this. Uh, why did God create? Because it brought him glory. Because he desired to and desired to um, be brought glory. Is it God arrogant? Self-centered? Uh, well, when someone does not have the right to be the center of attention, then it could be a problem. We might look at someone who feels like, oh, it's got to be all about me, and i got to get all the glory and pride for me, that that's a problem, because that's not the way a person ought to live, exalting themselves above everyone around them. But for the God of the universe to do so, this isn't a problem. And for him to uh, seek to be glorified as God is not a problem, and it's a major uh, reason why there's the universe, and a major reason why we're here. Okay? Uh, here's another thought um, that the universe God created was very good. And so um, this actually touches on um, some of the things that we'll look at. I'll get back to that, this very good idea. I'm going to try to remember to get back to that. I'm going to, again, we're kind of flying through these. Um, just some different thoughts on the relationship between scriptures, findings of modern science. Well, I've already touched on perhaps some of these, but the first one here. Uh, there will be no final conflict. Now, this is um, trusting, assuming that you know the Bible accounts true, that God is real. By the way, there's evidence of this. I'm not saying I don't know, and I'm just guessing. But um, the God has given us evidence, um, which we don't have time to go into, that we've gone over a number of times. Here's the deal. In the end, there's not a conflict. Right now, there might be a conflict, you know, Doctor so and so from the University of you know wherever, um, saying that God is dead or the Bible's been proven to be true. Um, well, when there's conflict like that, the thought is well, in the end there won't be, because in the end things will be understood clearly, um, that the truth will be made uh, known and. Um, and you know it's very it's very possible that sometimes our own understanding is part of the problem. Uh, we understood something. Maybe we understood a portion in Scripture to say something it wasn't actually saying. Maybe that'll be part of the final resolution. Uh, maybe it'll be new understanding of some of the uh, things that we were observing in nature. Um, I don't. By the way, this is a little side note on my part. I, I'm not really a conspiracy theorist kind of person. Um, if you are a conspiracy theorist, well, if you are, I, I'm betting you don't want to be called that, though. Most people don't want to. <laughs> I don't think most evolutionists, there's a conspiracy theory to hide the truth or not be honest about what they're observing. Uh, the bigger problem is that their worldview does not allow for God. And, um, and that's one of the, the problems we have here. Um, is that worldviews, in fact, even on their next point here, inconsistencies between Scripture and some creation theories, which I edited that. If you're online, I think it says inconsistencies between the two, and I, I realize that sounds like it's between modern science and Scripture. That's not what it was intended to say. Inconsistencies between some people's creation theories and the Scripture. And here's the fact is that there are, if, if we don't take the Scriptures at face value, there's going to be inconsistencies uh, that are there. We don't have time uh, to go more into theistic evolution. I had a little bit on the gap theory uh, as some creation views uh, along these lines, and there, but there's many more uh, besides that, except to say this, that if you hold to theistic evolution, which is the view that living organisms came about by the process of evolution that Darwin proposed, but that God guided that process so that the result was just what he wanted it to be. But you're going to run into problems with that because they're still in trying to wed together evolution with scripture, you can't get it to go together quite right. Uh, they don't mesh. 
Um, generally speaking, I think that those that hold to theistic evolution believe in God, but believe that evolution has so overwhelmingly been shown to be true that they're trying to figure out how to make these compatible because they believe that both are true. And it's kind of it's a difficult position to be in because it's just very difficult uh, to make that actually happen on that. And uh, one example is, I'll go back to that phrase I told you to come back to, the universe God created was very good, and um, yet if it was very good, such, such as in what's called the gap theory, which there's a gap of time between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, where there was an original creation, where the rebellion happened and bad things happened and death and destruction and God destroyed it, and then in Genesis 1-2 you have a, a, an earth without form and void, and then he goes through six days of creation. That's a second creation. And many of the fossils of things like dinosaurs come from that first one. And that's why you find them now. Well, wait a minute. He got to the end of the six days of creation and said, behold, everything is good. Well, if that's really true, he just built a second creation on the top of death and destruction and rebellion and dead fossils and, and all of that. It just seems like there's inconsistencies that exist between these. And so I think I'll just um, leave it at that. Uh, this is, can be quite involved. It can make your head spin. And in part it can make your head spin uh, because no person on the planet understands all the observations that we have going on. And I've mentioned a few examples uh, with physics. But there are other examples. One, one that boggled people's mind. Uh, this was maybe about 10 or 15 years ago. Um, I believe it was a T-Rex, they discovered soft tissue in a T-Rex bone. It's like They didn't think that was possible. How is it possible that soft tissue cells survived for 70 million years? Um, but then they found it and, and it existed. Okay, it's not just in physics. You have things that boggle the mind and, and people don't have a trouble explaining well, yeah, yeah, and more recent ones, I think there's some people that ate a woolly mammoth steak. <laughs> I don't think I'd want to eat that, though. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a little freezer burned <laughs> for my taste. <laughs>